David. Connor. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, and welcome back, all of you lovely listeners, especially you. You're looking pretty cute today. Anyways, oh, yeah. uh, welcome back to yet another episode of the podcast that we have entitled David. What's that smell? You thinking again? That's right. You know, the way I say it, I'm, I'm starting to think some people are going to be like, oh, the podcast is called David. And then you autocorrect. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. David, had to, David <laughs> had to come in and fix it because Connor's a buffoon. <laughs> Anyways, uh, how's it going, David? How's your day going? It's, you know, it just started, Connor. That's um, true. You know, I, I was watching a movie last night, not going to say what it is, um, but I was watching uh, the rest of it this morning. There's still like 40 minutes left of it. Um, uh, scoff. <laughs> you know, uh, this is why we watch movies in one sitting, because I, then I stuff know, like I, this happens. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, I intend on finishing it um, after the podcast, but it's it's pretty good so far. Well, that's good. Uh, anyways, how's the weather down there? You mean up, kind of? We are north of you. Oh, I'm sorry. My my look, my uh, sense of direction's been pretty off since 2020. <laughs> you know, like since That's the right. since the pandemic started, it's yeah, been yeah, like yeah. up is up is down, left is right. You know. Yeah, yeah. I see you. I see you. Um. So apparently, it snowed last night, and I didn't even know that. Uh, I opened up my window this morning, and I saw there's a bunch of snow on the ground, and I was like, "What is going on?" Um, so yeah, I had to, uh, go and shovel the snow this morning. That was nice. That sounds like a rip-roaring good time. Right, right. Uh, I'm assuming we'll get that storm soon, because we, we, like, it started, it hasn't snowed in a while. Like, there's snow, there's still a bunch of snow, but, like, it hasn't been shoveled, or, I mean, it has been shoveled, it's been melting. Uh, so I feel like we're gonna get snow any minute. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's starting to, like, deteriorate, so we're like, hmm. I sense there's something in the wind, you know? There's got to be a storm coming. Uh, But anyways, we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about our newest episode. Now, I feel like we're kind of stabbing ourselves in the foot here. Because if there's one thing we know, that based off of reception, that our listeners are a huge fan of, or in this case, me being sarcastic, if there's one thing that they are not a fan of, it is when we try to get intellectual. You know, when we talk about originality in film or the state of the video game industry. Most of the time, either it's because we suck at it, or (laughs) it's because people just don't care. But it seems like people don't attach to those quite as easily as they do as the ones where we just, you know, pick a name brand thing and discuss why it's great or bad, you know? Uh, But you know what? We enjoy talking about things that are big brain time, so it's time to whip out our big brains, and we're going to discuss yet another big brain topic. Uh, And that topic is, of course... We want to talk about classics or what are what the traditional definition of a classic is in terms of film uh, or, you know, I, I can't really think of how we'd connect it to TV shows. So I think we might just stick with film today. But like movies that are considered classics by either the general public or just individual people. Uh, we got a couple questions just trying to define what exactly it is and why exactly it matters, you know. I feel like yeah. it's good to understand why and for what reasons people value things, you know. I think a great way to do it is if we try to define what exactly a classic is in our eyes so that we can, you know, go out into the world and have a better understanding of what it is, you know. Like I said, big brain time. So, David, are you ready for some big brain time? I'm ready, Connor. Are you? 
I think so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, my brain feels pretty small right now. So it's time to, <laughs> time to pull a Grinch and make it grow three sizes. Right. Okay. So the first question I've got, and I think it's the, probably the most important question if we're going to kick this off. And that is, of course, how do you define what a classic is? I mean, you personally, David, because everybody probably defines it differently. Yeah. And I think if we'd establish right off the bat what we think it means, I think it'd be great for the discussion later on. So, David, what do you think a classic is? What do you define it as? Um, you know, kind of when I was shoveling the snow this morning, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, Connor is for sure going to ask me, well, how do I define a classic movie? Well, and... look at you go. <laughs> yeah, right. And I thought of an answer. It's a pretty good answer. Um, and I think what makes a classic movie, you know, a classic movie is its influence on society and I guess media as a whole, you know, like take your classic films, like, um, like you watched Citizen Kane recently, right? And you mm-hmm. talked about how like a lot of cinematography um, is super influential in movies today, right? Um, like that movie is considered a classic because of what it did and how it influenced um, media in movies today. Um, just, just as an example. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with that, too. I mean, I think a big part of a classic is this idea that it can it, it lives longer than its movie, you know, like its impact reaches far beyond the, the boundaries of a film and actually leaves an impact on other movies, whether it be, you know, cinematography, story tropes, character tropes, you know, that kind of thing, because there's so many movies that do that. Like even something like as simple as like Frankenstein from the 30s established like this idea of what people would found scary and as a result influenced a lot of movies that came after it instead of like in terms of horror like it may not be a big impact but the idea that it still has that impact to the point where you could still reference scenes from Frankenstein and you'd know you're referring to Frankenstein like I think that might be a huge part of it now I think the what do you think like what's like the, the you know like what extent does the movie need to impact where you consider it a classic like does it need to just have impact on like a couple of films or does it need to be like time tested you know like do you think like it has to have consistently influenced or like you know just just being able to you know if if people see it as something influential like is that just the simpleness of it or what do you think um i feel like it's more complicated more nuanced than that i feel like it has to be more Along the lines of being influential to a majority of films, you know, like not every movie has to implement it, but it, it kind of shifted the style of movies that we see today in, in more subtle ways than not, you know, um, I just lost my train of thought for a second. Um, <laughs> big brain, um, big brain. Yeah, I know. Right, right. Um, it, it has to, a classic movie has to kind of shift movies as we know it, kind of shift the genre of how we view movies is what I'm trying to get at. Um, and back, back, back in the, I guess like the mid, uh, 20th century, um, was when movies really shifted to, um, having like a narrative story um, 
with with themes and in messages and and actually putting heart into the actual movie um there there were movies like that prior but i feel like it wasn't until like the 50s 60s when we really started to you know get that shift in what movies could be um and i feel like there was also a big shift in the 80s and the 90s and they come with these influential films that change how we view movies as a whole and and we we touched upon this in the in the 80s and 90s episode plug yeah right 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 uh we reference those uh those podcast episodes a lot <laughs> um, oh yeah those 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 cause they, they have so much like topics in them like you refer to so many different movies so like if we if it comes up in conversation like we got to go refer back to it yeah right um see like i was saying like these movies of these of these decades have certain things about them beyond their story um, and beyond what the movie's trying to tell um, that makes the movie influential that kind of changes how we view movies um, going forward is how I'm trying to put it. For sure, for sure. Well said, pal. Well said. Um, Moving on to a question that kind of spawned from that comment you made. So like, you're mainly referring to movies that have been around long enough to impact, you know, things. But do you think classics are strictly for films that are older? Or do you think a modern classic can exist? Or do you think it does exist? Are there ones now? I, I, think, you... I think there are. I think there are. Um, and, but there, well, with modern classics, why, why I reference the older classics more than I do the modern is because we have we've had time to see their impact in films, unlike the modern ones, where we haven't really seen much of their impact. But you can definitely tell that there's going to be a shift in how we view movies from now on. Um, take like um, Parasite, for example. Right, that movie is super influential. I, I think it's a modern day classic. Um, I think that because this movie was so popular, that we're now going to see, um, I guess, more influences from other countries, um, other cultures um, in movies. Um, and I think that, and it's going to like start becoming like a big thing in films. Um, more foreign films are going to, you know, take, take the stage. Um, but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but I, I definitely think that we're going to see a rise of foreign films, but I'll get into that later. I'm just saying that, like, uh, with modern films, we haven't really seen their influence as much as um, the older classics. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that to an extent. Like, I think we don't have – there are a lot of movies that I think we need to give some more time to before they can establish their longevity. Um, but I feel like there's a couple that have been they have been out there that have still been impacting things. Uh, the two that pop into my head besides Parasite, because Parasite is obviously going to be one of them, uh, is Frozen and Get Out. Uh, both of those movies have had huge impact on other mediums because A, they're both huge successes, and B, they both came out of nowhere. And like both these movies had such a huge impact on the genres that they uh, embody. Uh, Frozen has been a huge influence on what family movies do nowadays in terms of the comedy, in terms of like the ideas. And having two female leads that are sisters is a 
good combination that I feel like hasn't been utilized a ton yet, but is going to be, judging from how successful that movie was. And I think, like, I, and I think with Get Out, like, Get Out was such a drastic and different kind of horror movie that had so much, like, so much cultural influences and cultural ideas that are that represented the times in a way that was very unlike anything at the time. I, that's why we get so many movies that are riding off a Jordan Peele, like, bandwagon. Being like, oh, anything produced by Blumhouse is produced by the company that did Get Out. Like, even even though that's not, like, Jordan Peele has nothing to do with those movies like Antebellum that literally wrote its entire success on the fact that it was saying Jordan Peele produced it when really he didn't. Like, <laughs> the, like and the, the Candyman movie that's coming out, too, is also produced by Jordan Peele. This one actually is. But, like, uh, those, that, like, writing on that coattail is becoming such a big thing. So I guarantee you, as we go into the future, Get Out is going to last as being something that's going to influence horror in the future. Now, we, we could be 100% wrong. I think that's kind of the funniest thing. Like, these movies could just die in the dirt in, like, 2022, and we'll never know. But, like, at this point in time, I feel like these movies will definitely have some sort of impact. For sure. Uh, yeah, it was a good, you, you phrased it well, David. Thank you. Um, now, another question that I feel we need to address is a classic different or is the definition of a classic different from person to person or do you think there's a universal like universal classics because like you know it's obvious when certain movies you know back to the future indiana jones star wars jaws the matrix jurassic park obviously all of those are classics like those are very much considered classics in terms of their impact in terms of their like you know overall quality those have always been considered classics. And regardless of your opinion on them, they have had an impact. That's obvious. But there are a couple movies, you know, out there that are a little more divisive. Like, is Pulp Fiction considered a classic? On the one hand, it's considered a masterpiece. On the other hand, it didn't have a huge impact on other movies aside from Tarantino's own movies. But it did. It did have some sort of impact. So, it's 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 up for debate. So I, I want to pose that a question of are classics different from person to person or are they universal? Um well when it comes to cinema as cinema. As, as, as a genre, right, as, as a medium, I think that um there are some I guess you could say like objective um classics, the ones that for sure were influential into other films. Um, now there are some, I guess you could say, like subjective classics, um, which a a large group of people um, can all agree that yes, this is a great movie. Um, like uh, like like you mentioned, Pulp Fiction. Like a lot, like, if you, if you see Pulp Fiction, a good chance you might not, but a good chance you're gonna like it, right? Um, but it wasn't as influential as other movies. Um, so. Yes, there are classics that um, that you can say are a personal classic. Like Connor and I would say that Goofy Movie is a classic film, right? But it wasn't incredibly influential, right? It, it, it's, an, it's a subjective classic that, that we deem to be an excellent film, just like Pulp Fiction, um, but aren't as influential. For sure. Um, yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, 
it's, it's I think the thing is too is we're we're defining what a classic is right now, but that doesn't mean that's what everyone thinks. No. I think another thing people consider classic to be masterpiece. Like a movie is a classic if it is almost completely flawless. And while I don't agree with that because there are plenty of movies that are considered classics that I do not think are perfect. Uh, I think that idea is still kind of stands in a lot of people. And as a result, I think what defines a classic in the common eye, like in what everyone thinks, is extremely hard to find. But at the same time, there are so many films that have that status, and I don't think are going to get questioned that much. So it's it's kind of conflicting, you know? Uh, I, I'll pose the question to you based off of that, because <laughs> I'm spitting questions like I'm friggin' Eminem. <laughs> uh, like, do you think impact is the only thing that could define a classic or do you think technical perfection or timelessness is also a factor like does a does a classic need to have had an impact or what do you think in your opinion of course because i mean we're not trying to define the common yeah, opinion. of course of course of course um well here's the thing when when i when i define a classic in my opinion of course i would say that for, for a classic film to, to be deemed a classic would have to be influential in some regard. That, that, that is what I deem a classic. Now, you can deem, like, kind, of, kind of like I talked about before, there are some classic masterpieces. Um, now, they're both classic, but they're classics in, in different ways, you know? Um, are, are you kind of seeing what I'm saying? Um, I think so. I mean, you keep expanding on it if you'd like. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm kind of repeating myself, but you got this. But um, so it it, it when it, when it comes to being a, a, I've said classic so many times. I don't, I don't even. <laughs> We've said class. If, if there was a drinking game based on how many times you say classics, no one would be conscious at this point. So. Yeah, no, I've, I've said the word classic too many times. <laughs> you said it a lot. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, yeah. To think to, to make it like plain and simple, pretty much is. I think that for you to be for a movie to be deemed classic. It has to be like objectively a classic film. Is now it sounds kind of weird for me saying objective when I'm completely being subjective of my ideas, but um, what I think for sure a for sure classic film would have to have some kind of impact on the uh, uh, medium of uh, cinema, right? But there are some masterpiece classics that don't have a um they have an impact so you can both see the classics so i think that a film can still be a classic um even if it doesn't have an impact but not in the same regard as an impact movie they're, sure. they're classics in different ways right sure um yeah i think i think something interesting is like i think i think we should pay attention to to when you're talking about classics I think there might be like pay attention to the different factors that make it a classic. I think like I think different like different movies have different things in it that define that. 
in terms of impact for sure like maybe a movie is less impactful but it has like a ton of technical masterpiece like qualities to it like i think i think it really does have it depends on the factors involved and i think when you're talking to someone and you go i consider this movie a classic i think you need to be ready to acknowledge what factors those are you know because like you can't talk to somebody you've never met and just say something's a classic without having given that definition of what you think it means it's really hard to like have that conversation and be on the same page because of how divisive the term classic is so i think if you would just address them what level you're talking about like is it a masterpiece is it timeless is it impactful then I think you can kind of get a better understanding of like what your definition of classic is. Uh, I think, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so we touched upon it a little bit. when We talked about citizen Kane. Actually, no, we didn't. I lied. So there are a lot of masterpiece or technical masterpieces or movies that are considered classics that are often considered to be really boring. Like movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey and Citizen Kane and like basically anything that came out before 1950. Like a lot of those are considered boring by a lot of people. Do you think that, you know, do you think they should be called classics at all? Like, do you think a, a classic should be, you know, consistently engaging to the, to the uh, general public? Or do you think a classic can just literally be those impactful films? Or do you think being boring has an impact on that? Um, I think even those boring movies that you mentioned, um, are still deemed classics because I'm still going off my base definition of a classic of a movie with an impact on the, the genre, right? And those movies are for sure impactful, um, regardless of the quality of the story. Yeah, I suppose you're. I suppose you're right. Well, the thing was is like when you're talking about classics, you kind of want to, you know, as we as I mentioned earlier, you kind of want to be on the same ground as the person you're discussing with. And I think if you consider something a classic, and then they go, "Whoa, partner, I found that movie very boring and you know not all that interesting." So does it really? Is it really a classic if I didn't enjoy it? Well, you know, I think having that mentality. Well, first of all, it's kind of annoying because you know, Mr. Contrary over here. But, like, I think what – I think that since it's so personal, I think, like um, – I mean, yeah, I'm trying to phrase it the best I can. I think you got to recognize the strengths and the weaknesses of a film and don't just hide behind the term classic as, like, it means it's perfect, you know? Uh, we alluded to this one earlier, actually, but, like, not every film is perfect. In fact, there are very few perfect films in most people's regard. But, yeah. you know, yeah. not yeah. every masterpiece, not every classic is going to be perfect. And not every, like, not every movie that's had an impact is going to have complete technical perfection. There's, like, basically name a classic and there's someone out there who's pointed out a flaw with it. And that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with having flaws in your film. Because, like, it's not, there's no way you're going to have a perfect movie with every single little thing perfect. It's kind of hard to do. Uh and also that differs from person to person, you know? Some people say, hey, the cinematography here is great. Some other people say, no, cinematography here is pompous. Like, it really comes, you know, different people. It comes from different perspectives. Uh, but honestly, I think 
if you personally find a movie boring and it didn't click with you, then I think you have to start questioning what you define classic as, you know? That's when you decide, is it, am I going to define it as being a masterpiece or am I going to define it as being impactful? Because that is when, that's when the start things start to divide, you know, that's when your opinion starts to shift. So you got to, you know, be ready for that. Uh, So yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, David, how you doing? All right. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. You know, checking in, making sure we're going well. Uh, I don't have a ton of extremely deep methodical questions anymore, but they're still questions nonetheless. Uh, Do you think the title of classic is beginning to be overused? Because I feel like, here's here's something interesting. Fight Club, when it came out, was not considered a masterpiece. In fact, it didn't do very well at the box office and its critical reception was good, not great. Sometimes it even was considered bad. But Fight Club shot up in popularity from like the cult you know, you know like as a cult classic uh that being a movie that did not do well but then it got really popular later on so in that regard they a lot of people consider that a classic and even movies like the dark knight which came out in 2009 that one people drop a classic on despite the fact that it kind of didn't have a huge impact because of iron man like dark knight came out the same year as iron man Dark Knight is considered a masterpiece by a lot of people, but if you look at the long term of superhero movies, Dark Knight is not super influential because the MCU happened at the same time. So the MCU got all that impact versus Dark Knight, which is more, you know, is it's still considered to be a, a masterpiece by many, but is not considered a classic in terms of impact as it would be as it would be the MCU. So do you think that movie, like, I'm not going to say that movie because that's a little too specific, but do you think the term classic is getting thrown around too much? Or do you think, or do you have the, the radical opinion that it's not thrown around enough? I don't know. Um, what do you think? I think that, I think that in recent, recent times, um, I feel like, I feel like the term classic is being used to define kind of like the second meaning um, classic, or like, so like a like a masterpiece. In yes, eyes? like a, a masterpiece, and sure. I guess a majority of people's eyes who think, "Oh wow, this movie is really good." Um, it it's beloved by a lot of people, um, like Flight Club or Dark Knight or Iron Man. You know, um, like they're regarded as classic films because they are very good. Um, they're they're high quality movies um that utilize um strong storytelling strong cinematography um great composition great score um and just an all-around um a, a good movie you know it's a movie that you could return to uh watch a second time and get more enjoyment out of you know it's it's it's, it's a classic film classic film Yeah, um, yeah, I think, I mean... You sound conflicted, Connie. You sound very conflicted right now. It's very conflicting, because on the one hand, the term classic, if it's in reference to a masterpiece, it just, it kind of takes away what, it takes away the whole, you know, the more objective definition. It becomes subjective from that point on. And then it becomes this game of, basically any movie can be a classic in that regard. 
because I was thinking about this the other day. A movie's qual or every movie is someone's favorite movie because there's so many people and movies connect with people for different reasons. So every movie has its fans, even if it's something as completely god awful as a Moji movie. People were raised on that movie. So there is going to be a generation coming very soon that love emoji movie for nostalgic purposes. Like every movie has its fans. And I think as a result of that, every movie is going to be considered a classic in someone's eyes. If the answer to that question or to answer what a classic is, is just a masterpiece. Everyone thinks it differently and everyone has personal connections to movies that other people don't. So like one person will say, Oh, I think that Thor 2, The Dark World, is a masterpiece <laughs> because it was my favorite it was my favorite MCU movie as a kid. And then other people, some idiot is going to say, "Hey, Blues Brothers is a masterpiece because it's my favorite movie and I was raised on it. It's really funny, you know?" Like maybe people don't agree with that, but now you just have two different classic movies. Like these two movies are now considered classics. Are we really going to say Thor: The Dark World is on the same level as, you know, Star Wars: The Matrix and Jaws? Like, no, like you can't, you can't use the digital trend, uh, like people's definition of it being a um, technical masterpiece and then say it goes alongside those impactful masterpieces or impactful classics. It becomes kind of this mess once you start throwing classic onto everything because you think it's a perfect movie. And then it gets real confusing when a movie's impact starts to grow. For example, uh, the B movie. The B movie is not considered a classic. Everyone doesn't like that movie. But modern day, times, like nowadays, people have been growing on it because of its, how much it's been memed. So people are starting to actually enjoy it because of the ironic memeness to it. And some other movies include the prequels, where the prequels had such a negative response, or the Star Wars prequels, had such a, such a negative reception first, but then got memed and you know watched constantly. And then suddenly got a huge backing of actual supporters who really enjoy the movie or movies, all of them. So it becomes really confusing from that point because then people are going to go, okay, well now it's technically had an impact because it's lasted for all these years. Like the prequels came out in the early two thousands and people still talk about them today. So there's, there's an impact that it, it had on people. Do those, are those considered classics in the impact regard? Like, it becomes really confusing when you start throwing the word a classic around onto things that don't that you don't know deserve it or not. And granted, this really only matters to people who care about what the common consensus is. Cough, cough, <laughs> me and David. But like, I think I think we should you know keep that in mind as you go about hearing this movie's a classic, this movie's a classic, that you should take a step back and realize just how divisive the word classic is. It doesn't really define it doesn't really define what we think it defines or it can define what you think it defines and other times it can't. So it's weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I see, I see what you're saying. I see. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts before we move on? Uh, no, no, I'm good. No. no. Okay. Sure. Uh, so based off of that impactful classics, I think we can refer to, uh, you know, in the past 10 years, 2010, 2020, or to 2020, we've seen a lot of movies. And I think it's time we start making some predictions. We, we alluded to it earlier. We talked about, you know, Parasite and such being impactful. What do you think 
do you think there's some movies that are going to have an impact in the future but you know we haven't seen a lot of that yet like what are what are some predictions for some modern day classics in your Ooh, eyes some modern day class- basically like, basically from 2000 yeah 2010 and beyond um well if i'm gonna be honest um i think that i mean except except parasite um i i think they don't include parasite we already kind of talked about that one um i think that um a a, a modern classic would be um like joker that that's uh, that's what i feel like would be a modern classic um uh, I feel like Soul um, would also be a modern classic. Um, and actually, I do want to talk about um, Lady Bird and um, Call Me By Your Name. Um, because I feel like those are examples. You know, you know, you, you know me, guys. I'm a big coming of, coming of age type guy, you know. I like those kind of movies. David sure does love growing <laughs> up. Yeah, right. And um, I feel like Lady Bird and Call Me By Your Name are great examples of the I guess, coming of age genre of what they could be and what they could be uh, for the future going forward for modern day uh, coming of age films. Um, because... I feel like with those movies, uh, they're very relatable characters. Um, well, because they those movies take place modern day, um, so you can, you can really relate to them. And I feel like those are really good examples of what, if you haven't seen them, totally check them out. But they're really good examples of what um, coming of age films could be. Uh, like I said, Joker um, and Soul. Soul. Um, is, is, is sim- in a similar boat to Pixar, not Pixar, a uh, similar boat to Frozen, um, in in, a, in the same similar regard to um, what family films can be. Um, now, the thing with Soul is, unlike a lot of children's movies, ch- children's movies that are like directly uh, directed to children, um, with this film, it has a lot of mature themes. Um, that a lot of other, um, like, I guess Pixar films haven't really explored with yet. Um, and I feel like this movie is kind of like a trailblazer of um, an example of what movies, children's movies can be, um, because they can be enjoyment for children and adults alike, um, that they can reflect on their life. You know, and I think Soul's a really good example of that. Yeah, um, I, I do agree. Um, not to make this a sort of view of Soul because it's—I mean, it could be—it's a really good movie. But like, I, I do agree with what you're saying. Like, Soul had such a relaxed approach to, to family; it didn't feel it, the need to just address comedy for kids just to keep them engaged. It basically made a movie that was consistently made for both adults and kids it didn't feel the need to you know like you know put stuff on the screen so bombastic and you know you know lull xd so that people would it's like kids would focus on it so it, it, it decided more restrictive about it it said okay let's tell our story here and let's tell our story the way we want to tell it 
and let's tell it in a way that both kids and adults can grasp onto. And that's such a unique idea. And I think if Soul does well, which I've heard it has been doing pretty well, uh, it'll start to open the, open the eyes of other companies to go, okay, so maybe a, a kid's movie can do well as if we, you know, as long as we, or even if we don't, you know, flash the camera with all these extremely pop-centric and, you know, jokey joke moments, you know, like take minions that are just constantly making noise. No adult's going to sit there and be like, huh, I, I feel like the deep complexities <laughs> in the Minions movie really tickled my fancy. Like, no, the Minions movie sucks. Like, <laughs> that's basically the plan. Now, Minions to the Rise of Crew is going to be really good. Besides <laughs> that, you know, like, you, you like that's the kind of power that Pixar has. But I think if it does well, it can influence other companies to do that similar thing. Because it's hard to get kids' movies that appeal to both kids and adults in unique ways. And I think Soul is figuring out a way to do that by being more restrictive. Like, even some masterpieces that I know, like, are some of my favorite Pixar masterpieces, like, you know, Inside Out and Ratatouille. Like, those movies, while... Actually, no, not Ratatouille. That one doesn't count. That one's a little more like Soul. But, like, Inside Out is the one I'll use. Like despite it being extremely mature and having these really uh, like really important and real themes it also appeals to kids because soul you know sadness is all sad and joy is very eccentric and bubbly and they have that kind of relationship like you know the begrudging adult and the the mopey child like they have that relationship so kids can jump on that and you know with bing bong being so eccentric you have these kid centric ideas now it doesn't deter from the movie like not at all but that's obviously trying to address the kid audience. But Soul doesn't really do that. Soul doesn't take a moment and go, okay, let's have some silly antics. I mean, there are a little like bit of the silly antics then... in the middle <laughs> act. Yeah. Yeah, right, that. But that's not, like, A, it's not the majority of the movie. B, it's not even in the trailers. And C, like, it's not that childish. It's, it's very much what they'd have to go through in that situation. So, it, yeah, it can appeal to kids, but it's not done in a way that's only meant for kids, you know? Now, dropping souls, so we can talk about classics again. I think if other movies can tap into that same idea, that kids' movies don't necessarily need to be just for kids, and they can take this opportunity to create movies that can appeal to... They're essentially just movies for adults, but made digestible to kids as well. I think you could create some really timeless stories for people that, you know, for people of all kinds. Like, that's the power of family movies. Like, any kind of person can watch it at any time and feel, you know, emotionally connected to it versus with adult movies where you have to be in a certain mindset or you need to, like, you need to be grown up to comprehend some ideas. No, like, Soul did a great job of balancing that. And I think that impact could be really interesting. Um, As for Joker, as you mentioned, uh, I agree with that one, too. But I feel like Joker is an example of an inf- of an influence, which is rated R superhero movies, and or comic book movies, I should say. Uh, I would, yeah, I would actually point to Deadpool first in this regard, because if Deadpool wasn't such a big hit, we would not have Logan, we would not have Joker, we would not have X, Y, and Z of all these R movies that are coming out, uh, superhero movies, because that's that is in and of itself kind of a shift. Like, regardless of if you agree. Like, rated R superhero movies is a movement in a way. 
where people did not think that was a good idea. Like, you had Blade, and you had several other R movies, like, early, early, like, ninety or late 90s, early 2000s. But the, that kind of died because none of them did any... None of them succeeded. Because the ones that succeeded were, were X-Men and Spider-Man and eventually Iron Man. Those are the ones that succeeded, and those were not dark at all. So, like... Oh, they were a little dark, but not, like, rated R dark. So, basically... After all these years and Deadpool coming out and saying, hey, superhero movies can be R-rated and be six, be extremely successful. That opened the eyes to a lot of people to start making R-rated superhero movies. And that's how we got movies like Joker. Like, not because they thought, oh, the Joker is going to be the new big superhero that everyone's going to love. But it was more like they understood that they could take the risk of making an R-rated movie based on comic books and it would and it could still do well. And fun fact, it did well. So, like... That's I think that's in and of itself does make Joker and Deadpool and Logan classics in regard regardless of their quality. Like I'm not a huge fan of Logan. I think it's solid, but I don't love it. Uh, but I do think it's a classic because it's keeping that R-rated superhero movie thing going. In fact, I feel like Logan was important because it was the second yeah. one. You know, Dave. Like it came right after they Deadpool. So this was like the test of if it was going to last. And hey got a nomination for best adapted screenplay so that's a plus uh though i don't really think it deserves it because the comics are nothing like the movie but you know whatever uh you get the idea and then as for lady bird and and call me by your name i have not seen call me by your name so i can't speak for that one but i can speak for lady bird and i do agree when you think of modern day uh coming of age movies those are like that those are ones you think of because of how impactful those were and how like how much quality was put into them so even if like even if there are other coming of age movies that come out, it's good. It's basically going to attract comparisons to Lady Bird and such because those are the ones that were biggest and those are the ones that, had, that were considered the highest quality. And that's I think that's another uh, defining characteristic of classics we barely talked about. Like if it's if, if a movie is comes to mind the instant you refer to something, think that might be a, a sign of its impact. Like if you think coming of age movie and Lady Bird comes to mind. Boom. That should be an instant uh, indicator that there is some classic factor here. Like, and if a lot of people think that, that that's even yeah. better, you know? Uh, but, like, that, I think that is kind of a factor to it, is the idea that people think about it when you refer to a certain idea. Not like, oh, birds and women, and they go, oh, Lady Bird, you know? Like, not like that. But, like, if you think of a tr- of an idea or a genre, and that's the thing that comes to mind, I think that might be the, an- another indicator that something is worthwhile. Uh, yeah, that was good stuff, David. You got you brought up some good ones. Good job, Arigato. Uh, Arigato. Why is that you're coming your thing? You said that like a couple of times in the past couple it's, of it's, days, guys. It's a uh, thank you in Japanese. Arigato. Well, I know that it's very it's polite, but like <laughs> it's just very random. And you started doing it now. Oh well. Uh, so here we'll do a couple more questions. I got two more. The first one is. What are some overlooked classics in your opinion? Like, I know we talked about impact being the defining factor. So I think what's interesting is not every impactful movie is put in the limelight. Sometimes movies that are impactful just kind of flow to the wayside and aren't referenced a lot. Like when people say, hey, what are some classics that had a huge impact? This, these ones aren't usually mentioned. What are some of those, David, what, in your opinion? What are some classics you think are um... overlooked? Like classics by influential wise, right? I would say influence, but 
I could totally. Um, obviously, you can refer to masterpieces if you'd like. I have not okay. no problem either way. Um, well, I feel like if movies influential in some regard, they're they're going to be mentioned. Like they're not going to be like completely disregarded as like in influential movies. Of course, it's going to be mentioned quite a bit. Um, but I guess if I had to pick some films that were mentioned not as much as others um i'd I'd have to say um i guess spirited away um even though i feel like the movie's talked a a lot about um but i feel like that movie um is influential because it was one of the first um like or okay Here's a better one that isn't as talked about because I know Spirit Away is talked about quite a bit. Is um, Akira? Um, of course, we've talked about, but I think this movie is a is a huge influence um, not only for um, animation, Japanese animation, but I know this movie also has a lot of influence in in TV and music as well. Um, I, I haven't seen it. But I know this movie is super impactful um, when it came when it comes to bringing um, like Japanese animation over to the West, right? Um, because really, before this movie, um, th- there wasn't much Japanese animation over in over over in the West, right? So this movie and among some others um, were kind of like trailblazers for bringing in like anime and stuff like that. Over here, I mean, even even now, um, this movie still has a huge influence on um, a lot of anime um, today, which I think is really really cool. Um, and I also know that it, it's also influenced a lot of um, like hip hop music too. Um, and and yeah, I, I think I think that movie Inspired Away are huge showblazers and influential movies when it comes to animation. Oh, yeah. That's a good, brilliant point. Yeah, like, I think another indicator, something that should be mentioned, is if a classic can reinvigorate a genre, I think that's totally a unique factor as to them. Like, Japanese animation was not really that big in the States for a long time. And movies like Akira and movies like Ghost in the Shell and uh, and Spirited Away, anything from Ghibli, really, like those started to establish that Japanese animation could be could be something that Americans can enjoy. And fast forward to now, Japanese animation is like huge in America, like absolutely huge. It is not an underground thing. Like anime is huge. People, people adore anime here to the point that a lot of them even enjoy Japanese animation more than American animation. So that's something that says interesting. Like, there are no other countries that can have that. There is not a lot of people saying, I'm a huge fan of Spanish animation or I'm a huge fan Indian of animation? French animation. Well, there, of course, there are. Yeah, right. There are fans of those. Like, there are totally fans of Indian animation. There, there is not a level of fan base like Japanese animation. And you can thank movies like Akira that had this huge impact and people love those movies. And to this day, people refer to those as being the, the, the introduction to anime that they had. Yeah. That's interesting, you know? A really good point. 
Uh, if I had to pick one uh, under uh, of a classic, I feel like was a little overlooked. Uh, I would point fingers to. I, I this sounds a little dumb, but hear me out. Is I think the uh... MCU. Well, of course the MCU is impactful, but here's the thing: I feel like when people talk about impact in the MCU, they go the Avengers. That's the quickest one they go to because it confirmed that an MCU would or an, a cinematic universe could work. And it spawned so many copycats because, you know, up to this point, it was just movies referring to each other. They'd been, X-Men movies have been doing that like for all these years. Like even in the first X-Men movie, they referred to the fact that Spider-Man exist, existed. The second Spider-Man movie acknowledged Doctor Strange existed. So like there isn't like there isn't uncommon for Marvel movies to refer to each other or Marvel characters to refer to each other in these movies. But the Avengers, you know, confirmed that this is a universe. They're all going to come together. So that's impactful. But I, what I want to refer to is actually kind of a weirder one. I would refer to Iron Man 2 and Winter Soldier and Thor 2 and Avengers 2 even. Because I think the age of sequels kind of started with Marvel 2. Marvel kicked off what was essentially an idea that characters can consistently come back in their own movies like the, the marvel movies didn't just end like you know they didn't just go okay here are all the introductions to the characters here's avengers and now they're only going to be in the avengers no after avengers came out iron man 3 came out and then thor 2 and all these sequels started coming out afterwards almost as if people are going okay so i can get my fill of thor in thor movies and i could also get my fill of thor in the avengers movies like that is such a crazy idea that you could just make more movies with the same character and people would love it. Like if you told somebody like that, told somebody that idea in like the eighties, they'd you know, freak out. They're like, wait a minute, how many, how many movies are you having with this one character? Oh my gosh, it's disgusting. Get away from me. That would never be a hit. People would get sick of the character so fast, but like, no, these characters are like considered classic are considered like, you know, quintessential characters in pop culture like Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, because of their longevity that was made by these sequels. And while the Avengers, of course, helped and defined them as a unit, as individuals, they all had their own movies that keep going. And now you have this era where, like, sequels are constant and everywhere, yeah. you know? So it's really interesting to see. I, I mean, there are sequels, obviously, that were before the, event, the MCU movies. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, The Dark Knight's a sequel, so... Ooh, does that mean that that's the most influential sequel? Well, not really. But, like, the MCU normalized it. And it gave it gave these the sequels this twist that, like, if you put them in a universe, you could establish a character and make it an icon just by making more movies with them. And that's an interesting idea. Now, bef- I, I really should mention, I guess, that, you know, there are a lot of sequels that were long before the MCU. And... If you guys, if you listeners think there's a, there are sequels that are more deserving of this influence, like if you think the prequels are more influential, that's fine. I'm not trying to say that like the MCU is the sole factor that's for the sequel craze, but you know what? I feel like, in my opinion, that the MCU, if, if it didn't exist, I feel like sequels would not be as prevalent. I feel like MCU confirmed that sequels can be profitable and can exist within a universe and continue to expand. In my opinion, of course. Yeesh, I need to stop talking. I need to shift the, shift the uh, focus to you for a minute. My last question 
before we get on to the suggestions, is one that's pretty important, I think. Do we even need the label of a, of a classic? What, like, what's the point of the term classic? Like, why? Why even bother? Um, well, you know, do we really need terms for anything? Like, the Nakari is the question, like, do we really need to call anything anything, you know? I mean, the reason that we have the term classic is to kind of show that, hey, this movie was influential in some regard. So, hey, you get the term classic. That's it. I mean, honestly, it doesn't mean much more than that. You know, like, if you if you watch a classic film, then you're going to see some kind of influence that you've seen in other movies before. Like, hey, I've seen that before. Like, oh, it came from this movie. Cool. That's really it. You know, it's 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 just it's just a title that you can slap on a movie that that really trailblazed movies going forward, you know. Um, and then there are other movies that are considered masterpieces um, that you might not consider masterpieces. Um, and I mean, it is what it is. And same thing with classics. It's like, hey, this movie is a classic because it's impactful. You might not think it's great. You might think it's boring. You might think it's trash. But it's still a classic regardless of what you think because its impact influenced other films. Maybe it didn't influence you, but it definitely influenced the medium enough to change it for what it is, you know? That's that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, I second that. Uh, I think the term classic, or actually terms in general, kind of are made to influence people and make people think a certain thing. Like, if you're telling somebody that this movie is a classic, this movie is a classic, this movie is a classic, you're hoping that the person watches it and agrees. Basically, that's what it comes down to. So, but if you were to tell this person, you were to go up to them and say, this movie has it was super influential, you should watch it. That does not imply it's good. That just implies that it's influential so i think the term classic is meant more to be a middle ground to that where people can recognize that it has an impact but at the same time can suggest it now obviously that's a mentality that's not bad but it's a mentality that influences people's opinion or makes people more likely to dislike it that's something that i've seen a lot oh sorry Uh, that's something i've seen a lot where people will jump on something and be like this is overrated so i hate it not it's overrated so i don't see the appeal it's people hate it because it is overrated and that i think is because of terms like classic where people will hear it and it suddenly imply that everyone loves it and if you do not love it you are not normal and i think that's something we got to consider i think the term classic isn't really necessary but it's just an example of People, you know, putting a, ter- putting a term to the quality of a movie. There's nothing wrong with that. And everyone's ever, I think if we're going to keep going on in society with the term classic and with other terms like masterpiece and, you know, a uh, fantastic film or something, you know, like we got to have to, we have to, bu- or we have to build a consensus that everyone's definition is going to be different, even with impact. Like if a movie is super impactful, that does not mean people need to consider it a classic. And 
I think going forward in the future, if I was going to, you know, if I, if everyone in the world is listening to this one episode and I had to say something to everybody, simply just like respect the fact that everyone's opinion on, on facts is different. Facts aren't different, but the opinions on the facts are. Someone could see Citizen Kane and go, I did not enjoy that movie. It was boring and it was long and it was not all that interesting but can acknowledge that it had an impact because it really did in terms of the cinematography and in terms of how it was edited is extremely impactful. And I think if we can come to that consensus and be like, you know, maybe what's a classic to me is not a classic to you. And maybe the term classic is starting to kind of fog up what we think quality means. I feel like if we had come to that understanding, we could, we could have a more respectable society. But that's not going to happen because people get a little too offended too easy. But you know what? When it boils down to it, David, you know what the real simple question is? The simple question is, why do we need to think about what a classic is? Rather, let's just focus on the quality of the movie and then see if it's a classic yeah. later on, you know? If it's a classic, it's a bonus, you know? It's it's yeah. just there. It's 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 an additional... It's an additional little tidbit about the movie that says it had a long-lasting impact, but that doesn't necessarily reflect its quality. That's plain and simple, you know? So that is, that's the long and short of it, David. Uh, That now, obviously, since we, this is our podcast, our opinion is a hundred percent fact and a hundred percent true. So if you disagree, you are wrong. (laughs) Anyways, let's move on to suggestions. Uh, because, of course, our opinion is still fact, so all these things we suggest are 100% factual. And if you disagree, you are wrong. Uh, David, mm, how many do you got today? Two. Ah! I was hoping the new season would <laughs> bring in a new David, but no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, no. Shame. Know. Anyways, let you start with your with your All right. All right. So, um... I would like to um first of all, no, let, let me get let me get my anime out of the way. Let me get the anime out of the way. I know I know uh, I know I know I know alert. Let me get the Everyone point ridicule the weirdo as we as we spent the entire segment of this podcast <laughs> talking about the attack of anime. I know you're weird for liking anime. Um, so the anime I want to talk about, um is of course the anime I talked about before because I'm just you know catching up on the anime that I've started. You know I'm actually watching like seven reading slash watching like seven different anime right now, uh, which is crazy. Um, but there's one I want to talk about in particular that David and David David enjoys his entertainment <laughs> feeling like work. Yeah right. Um, so the one I want to talk about right now is a a, per, a personal favorite of mine um one that's near and dear to my heart uh and this is attack on titan oh it's that one that you uh that in the anime episode you bashed no, and michael was like thing, heresy here's the thing, here's the thing. <laughs> season three was mediocre here's, here's, here's thing, like, ah! um so w- common misconception is that you, you guys think that I don't, I don't like Attack on Titan. Now, and you also think that okay, uh, okay, you're, you're never Josh. gonna let me live that down. 
I don't. Mike Michael's the one who won't run you to the dam. You know, I think Michael might be listening to this episode and be like, "Yes, <laughs> preach, Connor. Yeah, He's right. right. Um, so, I actually love Attack on Titan. Um, it's it is it was my first anime, so I have a really strong connection to it. Um, and because of this, that also means I have extremely high standards for it. So. See, watching season three and having it not live up to the the greatness of season one. Season one was a masterpiece of a season. It was incredible. And then to have season three. Now, of course, season three had its moments. It had incredible moments. It does not live up to the greatness of season one. And that's when I come in my suggestion which is season four season four is in my opinion pretty good it's it's actually quite good um uh it reminds me of season two um because it starts off a little bit slow with exposition but it accelerates so fast and gets so good um like, like, really, like season four is what I like to say, like the culmination of the last three seasons. Um, it, it is, it is what I wanted out of Attack on Titan season four. Like it, the, this season does not disappoint. Um, it, it, it's, it's got it all, and I am thrilled that it is going in the direction that it's going. Um, I am super excited. Um, I'm hyped. I cannot wait to watch the new episode that came out today. Um, yeah, Attack on Titan season four. If you have not seen Attack on Titan, um, you should watch it. Um, it's 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 a pretty you know well known anime. Um, every, every, everyone is Attack on Titan, but um, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It it's really good. Um, so yeah, um, actually, kind of, I just thought of a third suggestion that I could do. Egad. Yeah. You you yeah, went yeah. and did it. Congratulations. All right. So All right, round two. I would like to do kind of a mini review of a one piece arc. It's not finished yet, but I mean we yeah, we're at right. we're at an hour so and two minutes. A, you got a time. little mini review of the Wano Cooney arc so far. The the Wano arc Wano. so far. Um now take what I say with a grain of salt because the arc isn't finished yet, so uh, it could have like a really crappy <laughs> yeah, right? thing that we wouldn't know. Like, oh, wait a minute! All the characters die in the last yeah. five episodes. There's a yeah, black screen. Lame. Lame. Um, but I just want to give my quick opinions on Wano because I really been wanting to share it. So, to, to, in a lot of people's opinions, Wano is the greatest arc of One Piece, and I have to disagree. Hot take. I have to disagree. Now, let me tell you, Wano is. Let me tell you, Wano is great. Wano is a great arc. Don't get me wrong. I think it's incredible. Um, it just it, it's in the same vein as Attack on Titan season three. Um, well, actually, not really. I think Wano is a lot better than Attack on Titan season three. Um, I think that compared to other arcs like Dressrosa or Whole Cake, 
I think that the the storytelling direction is is isn't the same. Like let's take Jess Rosa. Jess Rosa is my favorite arc. It is so good, so well crafted. Um and as an excellent antagonist who was built up hundreds of chapters prior. Um it is an excellent arc. It is so good. Um now where Wano falls is in its character building of some characters who are major. Um like like the main the main antagonist Kaido, I feel like he hasn't been he's been built up, but we haven't really gotten a backstory on him that makes him impactful. He's not a very impactful antagonist. Um, of course, he's done terrible things to the to the Wano people. And of course, I, I see the motivation of Luffy wanting to feeding him. But I feel like his character development is not on the same level as Doflamingo's in Dressrosa. Um, and it, I feel like that aspect, it, it's a bit lacking. Um, I also feel like there are some characters that are okay anyways um like i was saying um <laughs> yeah I, I, I'd be going you're going to go into spoilers. um but that's okay like i was saying it's i i think wano is an excellent excellent arc um i think it's incredible i think it's it has incredible fight scenes um it has been built up for the past like four five arcs um so you know it's got to have a huge payoff, and I think it, it's it's been having a a pretty good payoff, um, not as good as I'd want it to be. But like I said, uh, Wano is not over yet. So like I said, take what I t- take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, it's good, but I think it could be better. And yeah, that's that's what I have to say about Wano. And then my third suggestion is a movie that I watched last Sunday, I believe. Uh, for some reason, I like watching movies on Sundays. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. Sunday's uh, a pretty good day. You watch movies? I will probably day. watch a movie today. <laughs> um, but That's true. <laughs> this movie, whew, um, I, I, I tried watching it before. And, oh. and I, I I couldn't I couldn't bear I couldn't bear it. We very we very briefly alluded to this one before. We actually I think yeah. we talked about it in yeah. an episode before, or yeah. not fully because you had I mean, to talk about it once. Then, but we did talk about um, it once, and I talked about how I couldn't finish it, and I was like, oh, the the representation of some of the aspects of this movie are just terrible. Yeah, yeah, stupid, yeah, stupid right, guy. Right. And stupid so I was movie. like, all right. I should go back and finish this movie. I really need to. So I went back, restarted the movie from the beginning, and watched it again. And the the aspects I didn't like about it were still there, still very much present. But I would say by the time I finished the movie, it wasn't as bad as I originally thought it to be. And you guys are probably wondering, why haven't you said the name of the movie yet? And I will. This movie is Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> no. Oh, I thought you were going to say um, Soul. <laughs> no. Um, no 
this movie is, is is a book adaptation. So right away, I'd say, want read the book over the movie because I can already tell that the book is better than this movie. Um, I I just this this movie it 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 has a very poor representation of high schoolers and what high school life is actually like, and the main character is just like a, a pity party. Like he looks like he's on the brink of crying every time he's on screen. And it's that's just Logan. Yeah. Lerman. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, the, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, the main character looks yeah. too much like Percy right. Jackson. And I don't like it. Um, and then by the half point in this movie, they had so many different things going on that weren't completely flushed out that I was like, oh my God, there's going to be so many loose strings by the time this movie is over and it's going to be garbage. Um, but surprisingly, by the time the movie ended, they they wrapped everything up nicely. Um, and I was kind of surprised by that um, because kind of they had, uh, there's the main character and that one girl, there was the main character and Emma Watson the main character and um, the main guy. There was the main character, not main character. There's the 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 guy, the guy friend, and the 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 bully guy. Ezra Miller. Uh, yeah, Ezra Miller. Ezra like Ezra Miller, Miller and the bully, and then there is the main guy and his sister, um, which by the half point of the movie weren't even close to being wrapped up yet. So there was like seven different things going on. And I was like, what the heck? And you're only developing one thing right now. What, like one, one relationship, the main character and Emma Watson. And it was just like, oh, this movie is such a mess. Um, but I guess they wrapped it up okay. I, yeah. Um, I guess I'd recommend this movie if you've read the book and you want to watch the movie adaptation. Um, but if you're looking for a coming of age movie to watch. Um, this isn't the one. Uh, there are much better ones out there. Like Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, uh, Boyhood. So many other better ones. Um, but yeah, this is a movie. How can you claim to be indie rock fans and not know a <laughs> David Bowie song? God damn it. Right. Anyways. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I agree. It's a decent movie. It's fine. People love this movie. Uh, Reed, I have, I have Reed especially loved this movie. It. And I was like, oh, good for you. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to discuss it with this guy. Reed, yeah. Reed, what are you doing? You, you, you're joking me, right? You're joking me. No, it's not good. Uh, so you ready for yeah, you're any a... more suggestions? I will pop some more suggestions at you. I've got a movie, I've got a show, and I've got a mix of both. You'll have to a see show what movie. you get there. So the first one is a movie. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so I the first one's a movie. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. Me and David were talking about this actor yesterday, or two days. Yeah, it was yesterday, actually. Uh, and it just so happened I watched a movie he directed and starred in. Uh, so the movie is Tropic Thunder from 2008, directed oh, yeah. and starring Ben Stiller. <laughs> We we're talking about him. You're talking about him, like David's like he hasn't been in a movie in 90 years, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, he was in Hoobie Halloween. But like, anyways, 
Uh, we're not here to talk about that. Tropic Thunder is got to be one of the ballsiest comedies out there. Uh, I mean, there are many a ballsy comedy. I mean, Borat is a great example of literally and figuratively being very ballsy. But like, there, this movie has absolutely no care in the world about what people think of it. It is extremely, not only is it extremely vulgar, it's extremely like cartoonishly over the top Hollywood. It talks about like Hollywood life, the Hollywood system and how actors act in like during movies and off script, off, uh, off screen. And it's extremely on the nose and it gets, it can get pretty offensive. They make fun of a lot of topics that you be kind of shocked. They deal with, they dealt with the most infamous being the fact that (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. is in blackface for most of the movie. Like it is ballsy. But the thing is, is it doesn't do that just for the fact of shocking people. This movie has a really humorous and weirdly genius point to make about just how extreme actors are willing to go to make a movie and different levels that actors are willing to commit that they don't really need to commit. Like they that is that point with with Robert Downey Jr. doing blackface. They don't just acknowledge he's doing blackface and move on. They acknowledge the fact that it's weirdly offensive and he, no one understands why he's doing it. But he's doing it because that's just what actors would do to go all the way. Like, actors will just, like, like in The Revenant, when Leonardo DiCaprio is eating animal liver, even though he's vegan, so that he can fully experience the character. Like, he didn't need yeah. to do that. That's kind of insane. And that's kind of the point of, of Tropic Thunder. Like, it's pointing out how ridiculous actors can get by doing it to an extreme that is could be seen as offensive. Like it takes it to that extreme because it helps point out how ridiculous these actors are. And that's kind of the whole thing. Basically the, the, the plot of the movie, for those who do not know, is that this, this group of actors is, is, are starring in this adaptation of a book based off of, world, of Vietnam. And essentially the director decides he's had it with these actors being, you know, just actors. And he throws the actors into real life Vietnam they're like or actually it's not real life Vietnam it's some dangerous area near Vietnam they never explicitly say where and just let the actors basically they tell them we're filming you guys doing the movie so you guys just act you know do this do this do the lines and go about your business in this super dangerous area and sure enough the director ends up you know something happens to the director and as a result they actually like the, the crew gets actually attacked by real life like uh <laughs> drug dealing groups and all the actors all the actors think it's 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 the movie because like they were put in this like real life situation and said okay we're gonna be filming you guys just act and like as a result they're going through this crazy dangerous situation and they're like is this a movie or is this just actual things happening to us uh first and foremost it's really funny i mean i'm i feel like that one's kind of obvious it's extremely extremely offensive in some regards but it definitely does it for a good for good reason. But it's really funny. It has a great cast. I mean, I'm talking a huge cast. It's got Ben Stiller, Robert Downey Jr., Jay Baruchel, Jack Black, Tom Cruise, Matthew McConaughey. It's got everybody. Oh. The only thing it's missing is the kitchen sink. It's got everybody. Uh, it's like I said, extremely funny. It has a bunch of really, really laugh out loud moments. Uh, it. I feel like it's weakest when it tries to be serious. There's a couple of scenes where it tries to get serious. But overall, I think it's really solid. And it makes fun of Hollywood system in a way that I just really enjoyed. It's got a lot of really great references to movies. 
that like you know you when you when you think about it you're like that's kind of true one of my favorites being the fact that robert Downey jr starts spouting out like every time an an, an a actor has won an oscar for playing a, a mentally challenged character they always do it in a way that's so unrealistic of a mentally challenged character because if they did it completely like the mentally challenged person like in real life it wouldn't be acting anymore it would just be you know mocking a uh mocking a mentally challenged person so like people will never like actors won't actually commit to being 100% mentally challenged it'll just be like a normal human being with like one or two weird quirks and i was like huh that's kind of a kind of an interesting point uh but like you know that's the kind of movie it is you know it's extremely off the wall but it's very funny and i really enjoyed it i won't talk about it anymore but it's very good if you want to watch it tropic thunder uh anyways i've got two more uh the next one is wandavision because obviously it is <laughs> because i'm basically david when it comes to anime if i start watching a show and it's weekly <laughs> every week i'm just gonna bring it up again <laughs> like it's really good the third episode came out on friday it's really really solid uh it's it keeps pulling twists on you so you never quite know what to expect it's got lots of cool comic book references it's got a really cool mystery building really curious to see what they're doing with it I love that it's not really conventionally comic book. So like people who know the comics aren't predicting it right away because it's so different. Uh, and it's really well done. I, I love the actors involved. They're all having a great time. I love the cinematography. I love the story writing. It's great. Really solid show. If you were lost, if like the story was lost on you, like you thought it was a little boring in the first couple episodes, keep going. I would say like, I feel like as you go with it, it'll grow on you if it isn't on you already. Really solid. Now, show movie. David, this last one's weird. Cause, yeah, the show movie. It's not really a suggestion because I don't really like it. But I want to suggest it because I want to know. I want other people to know what it is. And I want people to know. Like, I want people to think about it and see, like, what, what do they think about it? And that is, so Pixar did these shorts on Disney Plus. Oh, I've heard of Called it. Pixar Popcorn. Uh, it's just a... Yeah, they're, they're like collection of 10 shorts. They're all like two minutes long or some of them are four minutes long, but like they're super short and there's 10 shorts based off of Pixar characters. There's a couple based on cars, one based on Coco, one based on soul, you know, stuff like that. And that's it. They're just the characters from those movies doing stuff. Now that is ex- extremely weird idea. It's not normal because who wants to see stuff happening with no purpose? That is literally the entirety of all these shorts. It's The Incredibles, but doing stuff. It's the Cars characters doing stuff. That's literally all of them. There's not one short that has a point to it. It's just characters doing stuff. So it seems like it was more, it was more just, uh, uh, you know, giving the animators something to do. That's what it kind of. That's what it screams to me. And I think if you're a huge fan of these characters, I think maybe these will be good on, these will be like grow on you. Honestly, I was not a huge fan of it. Like some of them are pretty good. Like Souls was pretty good because it kind of fits pretty well with the tone of the movie it's based on. Though a lot of that short is just clips from the movie, but you know, whatever. The Coco one's pretty good because it's a good idea to make a short like that. Um, But overall, I mean, a lot of these are just very useless. They feel like nothing. They feel like just stuff. They go into your brain and they leave their brain with absolutely no impact on on your on your uh, 
life at all. But I want people to watch them because, like, it's an interesting idea. I want to know what people think. Like, what exactly about these it gives them purpose? And I want to know what people think. So all of you listeners, I need you to go out and watch them. You can watch them all in 22 minutes because there's a whole collection of them. That's just all of them. It's super short. But if you want to check them out, I by all means, totally do it. And I want to know what you guys' opinions are because it's such a weird idea. And I want to know if it works for you guys. So check it out on Disney Plus, Pixar Popcorn. Cool. And that's it. That's all I've got for you. I'm feeling well, Connor. How uh, you feeling? David, how you feeling? I'm pretty yeah. good. Uh, we, we had a pretty solid discussion today. Uh, obviously, go check out the Instagram, what's that smell underscore you thinking again. If you'd like to, su- to suggest us some episode topics or just talk to us about your opinion on the show, like it's pretty, it's pretty good, <laughs> but you know, we talk bad, so start talking better. We'll take your criticism to heart. Uh, you know, uh, we got some cool stuff coming, so stay tuned, of course. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. David, do you have any last uh, thoughts to our, uh, to our listeners? I do not, Connor. All five of them. Well, okay. Well, thank you guys for listening, of course, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Of course, we yes. upload every Sunday. We're very consistent. Uh, and you have been listening to the podcast.